Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, what's up? Good Tuesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky is out this week. Stop me if you've heard that before. Got Will East in the chair, at least for another couple of days. Brian Haydad will be along in the 4 o'clock hour. Brian Scott Rippey will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Going to talk with Bill Bender from the Sporting News coming up in uh, just a little while as well. First, though, we'll tell you that Sports Talk is brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, Bank. Dot com Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. What does that mean? Because it's not just a uh, it's not just a catchphrase. It's not just a slogan. When we say they know the lay of the land, what does it mean? Well, Mississippi Land Bank has been financing land for 100 years. That means they know the land financing business inside and out. They have been there. They've done that. They've seen it all, and. They can help you. If you're a farmer with equipment needs, need to refinance an existing loan, maybe it's a crop loan or you're buying new land, maybe you're not a farmer, maybe it's just time to build a dream home, you're going to buy a piece of hunting property, whatever it is related to land and money, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They're fantastic people. They're located across North Mississippi. You can find those branch locations as well as contact information and phone numbers on their website at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. So, anything going on this afternoon, Will East? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to take a rundown here and just uh, <laughs> throw that over yeah. there. I don't know that we completely throw it away, because I think there's some fun and interesting stuff to get to, but... Okay, well, let me... Uh, as of 1.41 this afternoon, so about an hour and a half ago, Bruce Feldman who is now with Fox Sports, Bruce Feldman, CFB, on Twitter, tweeted the following. Source, Ole Miss offensive coordinator Phil Longo will become the new offensive coordinator at UNC for Mac Brown, who is going air raid. How about that? Mac Brown, back in the game, putting his staff together. He has returned to North Carolina, where he was extremely successful in the early 90s, left North Carolina, went to Texas. We've talked about the, um, the, the, the idea of bringing back somebody who's been out of coaching for, what, five years? And whether or not that made sense or not. So he's in the process of putting his staff together, he makes a little bit of a change from an offensive philosophy standpoint. Uh, because, you know, Matt Brown evolved a little bit as a coach there at the end with Texas. The biggest issues that they had we're on the defensive side of the ball, and people kind of quibbling a little bit with the way he approached recruiting, that maybe there was a little bit of laziness that Texas was just kind of uh, relying on its brand, on its name, and was getting a bunch of commitments early and then just kind of mailing it in from a recruiting standpoint, and they got passed. 
So he's evolving as a head coach, and he's going to evolve from an offensive standpoint and will go air raid. That's the Mike Leach offense. That's the, uh, the Phil Longo offense as well. And Phil Longo, who has been at Ole Miss for the last couple of seasons and has had offenses that have put up record-setting numbers, is moving on. Um, our very own Brian Scott Rippey confirmed the news just a little while ago, well, about an hour ago, a little over an hour ago, that indeed Phil Longo uh, was moving on from Ole Miss. And the reaction from Ole Miss fans has been interesting. Now, you've known that Ole Miss had to get a new defensive coordinator, and that news became official on Sunday afternoon. Ole Miss released the information yesterday that Mike McIntyre was the new defensive coordinator. But fans had grown, is weary the right word? Is that the right word, Will? Ole Miss fans had grown weary of Phil Longo? Weary, uh, yes. Frustrated? Uh, frustra- I think frustrated would be a better word. So the offensive production was there. There's no question about that when you, when you look at the numbers on the whole. But Ole Miss fans looked at, and, and, and I, I actually, this might be an unpopular opinion. You'll forgive me if it is. I actually think the, the defensive struggles contributed to the frustration with the offense. Because the defense was so bad, because the defense didn't have the ability to stop anybody, there was a great deal of pressure that was on the offense to pretty much go out and score every single time they had the ball. I mean, that was the Ole Miss team this past year. You better outscore people because you're not going to stop anybody. And when the offense got bogged down against really good defenses, when the offense had struggles in the red zone, the frustration that went with defense actually was taken out on the offensive side of the ball. Some of that's not fair. But Parrish Alford just a moment ago tweeted this. Ole Miss finished number 25 nationally in red zone scoring this past season, but they led the country in red zone field goals. When you get inside the 20-yard line, especially when you get inside the 20-yard line with the offensive talent that Ole Miss had, you just have to score touchdowns. If you want to win football games, you have to score touchdowns. Leading the country in red zone field goals is not a stat that you put on your resume. Now, you put the total offensive numbers, you put the the top 25 scoring red zone number in there, but on your resume you omit the field goal. So why was there frustration there? And why were there issues in the red zone for Ole Miss? I, I think there are two things, and maybe that's two different answers. The frustration is because the offensive personnel was really good. You had a quarterback that could throw it well and also had the ability to run it. You had a really good running back in Scotty Phillips, and you had difference makers at the wide receiver spot. A.J. Brown at the top of the list, who had, what, only six touchdown catches this season? That's no good. You've you got to be better than that when you have a, a an All-American wide receiver. Early in the season, you also had D.K. Metcalf before he got hurt and missed the, the remainder of the year. You also had DeMarcus Lodge. You also had tight ends. And those players were underutilized. So again, let, let's rewind a second. So, so what was the frustration with an offense that was, what, top 10, top 15 nationally, but had scoring issues in the red zone? 
So the, the, the most common frustrations you heard throughout the year were, one, you're not running the ball enough in the red zone. Two, the idea of chasing space works really well against bad defenses because bad defenses are going to give you a lot of space. But when you are playing elite defenses who have elite talent on the defensive side of the ball, then there's not going to be as much space. And if your entire concept is chasing space and there's not space, then you're going to have issues. And then I think the third thing that really was frustrating to people was it felt like the middle of the field was incredibly underutilized. So many of the the routes that were run, so many of the the throws that were made were outside the hashes, whether it was because you had one-on-one matchups. And sometimes those are good, but you didn't use A.J. Brown or Demarcus Lodge or Braylon Sanders or the tight ends, Cooley and Dawson Knox, as much over the middle of the field. And when you don't force the defense, especially, again, when you're playing good defenses, when you don't force them to cover the entire of the, of the field, you're only forcing them to cover, what, half, right? So the two outside outside the hash on both sides, you add those two up, that's about half the field, and then inside the hashes makes up basically the other half of the field. And when you're only forcing the defense to consistently cover half the field, it feels like you're underutilizing the real estate on the field. Is that a fair summary, Will, in your mind, of the frustrations that existed under Phil Longo's offense? Between the 20s, great. Outside of that, nope. Just just, a, just a, a big old nothing. Ball of nothing. Nothing. What okay. do they call that? A nothing burger? Nothing burger. That's what it was. Okay. So, where do you go next? And we'll begin to talk about that. The, the, the name that has already begun to surface, and not just in the last hour and a half, but over the last month, really, has been Dan Werner. There are a lot of people that think that Dan Werner got a raw deal, that uh, Hugh Freeze got rid of him, and the, the, the quote that Hugh Freeze was, uh, gave was, it's time to take this offense to another level. Um, Dan Werner did a really, really nice job working with Bo Wallace as his quarterback and working with Chad Kelly as his quarterback. Um, we never saw Dan Werner working with Shea Patterson. We never saw him working with Jordan Thomas. What would that have looked like? Who, who knows? We'll, uh, we'll we'll see going forward. So Dan Warner is a name, but that's just the first name that's out there. So so what other directions do you look for offensive coordinator? Well, we'll have to wait and see. You just finished a defensive coordinator search. We'll see if there's much as much interest in an offensive coordinator search because everything, eh, not everything. There's going to be a lot of new on the offensive side of the ball. Lodge is gone. Brown is gone. DK Metcalf's gone. Greg Little's gone. Sean Rawlings is gone. Javon Patterson is gone. So new offensive linemen. Receivers with experience, but not at the same level of what you had. Scotty Phillips will be back, and you're going to have a new quarterback. This is a pretty important hire for Ole Miss, and we'll talk more about it as we move through the show this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. This is Sports Talk. This is Sports Talk. Mississippi. Woo-hoo! I say sports fans. Now, here's more on Super Talk Mississippi.
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. You want to connect with us? That's the best way to do it. You can also tweet the show at Sports Talk, M-I-S-S. Obviously, really big news coming this afternoon. And that is that uh, Ole Miss is now looking for an offensive coordinator. From a, from a lot of people, that was expected. There were a lot of people that thought that was going to be the case. Phil Longo interviewed for a couple of head coaching jobs, uh, ultimately did not get those jobs. And so it was actually kind of bringing up an awkward conversation because there was so much discussion about making changes with assistant coaches at Ole Miss. And with that, we'll bring Bill Bender into the conversation from uh, Sporting News. Uh, Bill uh, always kind to join us. You can follow him on Twitter at BillBender92. Bill's on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. So, Bill, we kind of had a plan for the show today and wadded it up and threw it in the trash can just a few minutes ago uh, when it was announced that um, Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, is going to join Mac Brown as offensive coordinator at North Carolina. Any reaction from you on, on that particular move? Well, I'll piggybacking off of what you said, it, it was clear when Max Brown took that North Carolina job that he was going with somebody like that. And I say that because you heard Kingsbury's name mentioned that they're not Texas isn't going to you know run, line up and run, or uh, North Carolina is not going to run the wishbone or anything like that. They're going to chuck their out. And uh, I think with Longo, like you said, a guy that I thought was pegged for some head coach openings. Obviously, he, he's right. been that kind of quality coach, but. Um, Obviously, it'll be interesting to see where Ole Miss goes from here on their offensive coordinator now. Yeah, and, and the name I think that, that immediately is out there is Dan Werner, who has worked at Ole Miss on a couple of different occasions. Um, I guess he's on uh, on uh, South Carolina staff right now, working with, with quarterbacks. ton of experience, kind of trace his roots back to, to working at Miami. And a, a guy that's familiar with what Ole Miss wants to do offensively, but might bring a little more balance. It, it's interesting given that Ole Miss's offense was so successful, kind of in the aggregate. But if you looked at a more micro level, their red zone efficiency was not very good. Kicked a ton of field goals, and it was one of those offenses that had the reputation for being great between the twenties, but inside the twenties, it had its issues. Well, that's with any offense of that caliber. You want to emphasize red zone offense. And in the red zone, you got to be able to run the football. You can't just run two plays in the red zone and, and hope you get there. And that, that'll be the challenge. And, and like you said, I like what you said because when I think of Ole Miss, I don't, you know, in recent seasons, you think about the quarterbacks and the, you know, the big numbers they put up in the passing game. But you know, when I was growing up, you think of the, the big time running back in there. And uh, you know, if they can balance that out with the new offense, I think that's the way to go. Warner be a good fit too. What do you think of? Mac Brown as the head coach at North Carolina. Look, I, 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 you may disagree with me, but so when and I'll rope in Les Miles on this one too because it's kind of a joint answer that both of those hires were kind of ripped because they're taking old guys. You know, these guys are a little bit older, obviously retired once, and uh, but I see guys that won national championship coach. You know, national championships at their former schools. They want to get back in. They're willing to change a little bit, and you're seeing that with the coordinator hires. I mean, Les hired uh, pulled away Chip Lindsey, right? So right. they're getting with the, the time, so to speak, because I think that was the knock on Mac and Les when they were out the door. 
and I think they want to prove people wrong. I do think North Carolina can compete in the Coastal, Richard, because we just saw a five-loss team play in the ACC championship. You know the thing to me that's so interesting about Chip Lindsey going to Kansas? I, I'll be interested to, to watch that and see if maybe for the first time in a few years Chip Lindsey is actually allowed to run the offense. Because I think we all know that that was Gus Malzahn's offense at Auburn. And, and there were things that Chip Lindsey wanted to do. He just wasn't given the latitude to do them. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously um, LSU, with, with when Les Miles was there, the knock was quarterback development. So I'm going to see how they develop the quarterbacks at Kansas and understand that there has to be, you know, some leeway there. This is Kansas we're talking about. They're not going to win the Big 12 overnight. Now, uh, you know, with Chip, like you said, I, now, and now that's twofold because you wonder, you know, what's Auburn's offense really going to look like now because it's clear Gus is going to be calling the shots on offense. And there's, I don't know if hot seat's the right term, but. Next year will be a put-up year in some ways because, once again, every time I talk to you, you I, I always get asked to predict how Auburn will do. I never know. They're so unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. And, and it's not because there's a complete lack of talent on that, that roster. I mean, they've, they've recruited at a pretty high level for a, uh, a pretty long time. Bill Bender on your radio from uh, the Sporting News. He covers all of college football, but he's based in Columbus, Ohio, which has been like – ground zero for crazy stories in college football this year going back to urban meyer at the beginning of the year and then you you get the announcement i guess it was last week that ryan day is going to take over as the head coach at ohio state immediately after the rose bowl and i guess for all practical purposes he kind of becomes the head coach right now um bill there are people that looked at that and said that is one of the jobs in college football and yet Gene Smith chose not to go with a search. He went with a guy that you know, handled the, the tough situation early in the year really well this year. Was that the right way to approach that at a place like Ohio State? Well, I mean, you know, the hope, the comparison is Lincoln Riley, right? That Lincoln sure. Riley uh, did his thing at Oklahoma. And, but this is Ohio State. It's a little bit different in that I think this is one of the top five jobs in the country with resources, talent, expectations, all those things. One of the few schools that can actually say they should win a national championship every year. And they only won one under Meyer, which is crazy to think about when you look at the fact that they were 54-4 and in Big Ten play under Meyer. That's never going to be repeated. I just don't see how. So Ryan Day will have a lot of expectations, starting with going 7-0 and against Michigan. And it really starts with this signing period, um, which is early. He's been scrambling around. You're seeing the effort on the recruiting trail. But um, that's where Urban Meyer made the biggest difference in the Big Ten, I think, was on the recruiting. He, he was able to use his SEC ties, bring kids from the south up. And, and that's why Ohio State's dominated the Big Ten. That's not, the, that's not a secret by any means. Bill, I don't know if this is a national phenomenon or not, but this defensive coordinator search that Ole Miss just went through, was covered and it was um, consumed by fans in the same way that head coaching searches have, have been done in the past. Do you see that happening all over the country, or is that something that's kind of unique to, to maybe the SEC? Oh, the SEC, you guys are, you guys are on a different level down there. <laughs> um, you know, the Big Ten has a – I would say half of the Big Ten schools treat it that way. And, you know, when you're dealing with Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and – you know, Wisconsin and Iowa, there's that, in Nebraska, of course, there's that fever for it. But 
the difference always with me at the SEC is it's one through fourteen. Um, that's all you guys talk about, and in a good way. I'm not I'm not saying it dismissively that you know the coaching turnaround you guys have in that conference too. I think in the SEC more than any other one, you see a lot of. Uh, you know, like a John Chavis, he goes from one school to another. I, I lose track of him sometimes, um, and it's nothing new. But I mean, obviously, every one of these schools takes it that seriously because, you know, let's be honest, that's the that drives the bus for a lot of these athletic departments across the Power Five. You know, it's interesting. Pete Golding's name was really prominent in the search for uh, a new defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. He ultimately decided to to stay put at Alabama. Sounds like Lincoln Riley made a run at him at, at Oklahoma, and maybe that's not completely over yet. And I was also told that uh, that Ryan Day could potentially have some interest in Pete Golding. Do you think he will make changes on that staff, specifically on the defensive side of the ball? Oh, we'll see. I mean, you know, obviously, are, are we talking about Ryan Day? Yes. Yeah, Ryan Day yeah, is, the, is mean, the new head coach at Ohio State. Yeah, with Greg Schiano. yeah. I mean, if Schiano moves on, we'll see. I think staff changes are going to happen there. I just don't know at what level. I know the support staff will probably stay very much intact. Nicky Marotti is one of the key guys at Ohio State, and uh, it looks like he's going to stay. And, and they haven't really defined what Urban Meyer. There was talk of, like, he may be still on campus. That hasn't been clearly defined yet. Um I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I would assume it's mostly good, given that he's a good influence uh, on uh, the program. But uh, we'll see. Um, but certainly, yeah, we'll see uh, if they make some moves there. Um, were you at all surprised or – well, I'll just stop at surprised with, with the way the Heisman Trophy voting turned out. Um, you know, no, yes and no, because, one, it was I, – I voted, and, I, and I'll – tell you guys. I mean, I voted for Tua, and it was very difficult. I waited till after the championship game. I stressed out about it, and, uh, you know, I just thought he was the best player of the whole year. And But there was no wrong answer. I think Kyler's had a great year. I think uh, Dwayne Haskins has had a great year, and it was really tough to choose. That certainly was interesting stuff. It's uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We're glad to have you along this afternoon, Bill. Always appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you, my friend. Hey, no problem. Let's do it again soon. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Brings a national perspective, certainly has an understanding of what's going on in the SEC, and is a really, really good writer. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should, at BillBender92. More coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your favorite teams like no one else on the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. Good to be with you this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey will join us in just a few minutes. We'll east in the studio. You want to be part of the conversation, you can text the show 601 879 4395. 
601-879-4395. You can also tweet us at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Um, interesting thought. I, well, I say it's interesting. It's a thought that I had. I don't know if this is interesting to you or not. When Will, when you, you think about head coaches and the tenures that they have, usually there is the opportunity one time to press the reset button. And usually that happens in the form of coordinators. Now, Matt Luke's in a different spot than some because of the way that he was thrust into the head coaching job. You know, it was not a scenario where they went out and they hired Matt Luke from somewhere else and he had the opportunity to build his staff. So he basically inherited a staff and there wasn't a lot of opportunity to change because it was right before the 2017 season. In the off season after 2017, you had a couple of changes on the staff, but you didn't have crazy changes. Um, I, I guess there were three hires that uh, that Matt Luke made in the off season. He brought Jack McNell in to coach the uh, the offensive line. He coached John, uh, brought some John Sumrall in to coach linebackers, and then what Charles Clark was the third uh, coach that was added. That was the tenth assistant role. But that was not a press the reset button on coordinators. I'm not sure that in the the situation of, of Matt Luke that. This counts as the original staff, and there's the opportunity. I, I think this serves as kind of the press the reset button at Ole Miss for Matt Luke. It, uh, maybe first question is, do you agree with that? I agree with that. Uh, whether it's fair or not, you know, uh, he didn't get those chances to bring in his own staff like most new head coaches do because of the situation. Uh, but this is, I think you're right, this is a, a reset Uh you know, the fans were very vocal that they weren't happy with it, certainly weren't happy with the defense, and the, the offense needed an overhaul as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if this is all the changes that are going to be made, uh, but these are the two biggest uh, coaching changes that you can make and have a, a big impact uh, when you change out coordinators. And the fact that he's – the fact that he's bringing in the guys that he's bringing in, guys with a lot of experience versus the hotshot coordinator, I think kind of uh, kind of is to your point of resetting. Sometimes when you reset, that's what you have to do. You have to go with experience. Part of the reason I say that is there there are a lot of people that are Ole Miss fans um, who – think that, that this coming year is a make-or-break year for Matt Luke. I don't believe that to be true. I, I, I just don't. Um, given the, the way things have gone, the fact that this is the first year without the cloud of the NCAA hanging over it, and because Ole Miss made a really big commitment financially to a new defensive coordinator, and my guess is we'll make a big commitment financially to an offensive coordinator. Now, whether it's you know exactly the same as what they're paying Mike McIntyre, which is a three-year guaranteed contract at a million and a half dollars per year, so four and a half million dollars tied up in a defensive coordinator. Are they going to do that exact same thing on the offensive side of the ball? Will it be a little less money? Do you go get a guy where you've actually got to pay him a little bit more money? I I, I don't know the answer to that. But given 
the commitment that Ole Miss is making to coordinators and the fact that it's the first year that Matt Luke will not be recruiting under the NCAA cloud, I don't buy into the idea that 2019, the football season, is make or break for, for Matt Luke. Now it doesn't need to it doesn't need to be a disaster. I mean they certainly don't need to go two and ten because you, you do something like that and you know decisions get made that maybe you don't want to have made. But with a respectable year, this is that there is at least another year for Matt Luke. Does that make sense? It does. I don't know if I'd agree with you. I think it I think they could have the same record and have two different outcomes. You could have a, let's say, uh, a four-win season, and one hand go, you know what? It's the same old, same old, same thing we saw the the year before. Let's get rid of him. Or you could have a season where it's four wins because of all the people that you lost and new head, new coordinators and everything. And you go, you know what? There's some momentum here. They they were competitive in the games against Alabama and LSU, unlike the past couple of years where they got blown out sixty or seventy points. Um, to me, I, I, I think, despite the record, I think there's going to be kind of a feel at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, Ryan Scott Rippey joins us now in studio as well, and we were talking just a second ago about the fact that most head coaches get the opportunity to press the reset button once in, in their tenure, unless they're like there for a really long time and there's a long period of success, and maybe they've earned that right to do it again. But that reset button usually means coordinator changes. I don't know if it's fair or it should be that this is it because of what he inherited, but it feels like this is Matt Luke's opportunity to kind of hit the reset button. He's gone and gotten a defensive coordinator. He'll now go and get an offensive coordinator. Do you agree with that? I mean, yeah, just because they've had the the, the kind of widespread staff changes that I, I think most anticipated. So, yeah, in some degree, I think – Anytime you change coordinators on both sides of the ball in a given year, it, it kind of hits the, the reset button in the sense that it probably buys him some time. Um, I, I think a, a hire like Pete Golding probably would have bought him a little more time just to kind of see how the guy recruits watched it pay, play out. I think there's probably a little bit more of a sense of urgency by having Mike McIntyre, if nothing else, from the perception that it was your second choice, even though I still think it was a pretty good hire. Um, and I think he'll do well there, but but the, the the optics that it was kind of his second choice kind of doesn't buy you quite as much time as like a Golding hire would have, I think. Um, on the you know it depends on who they go with on the offensive side of the ball. It sounds like Dan Warner is a favorite right now, and probably the one of if not the first person he'll kind of look into. So yeah. is that because it's just familiar and people have kind of thrown that out there, or is that because it it makes sense to go that route? It makes sense in some ways, but I think it's a familiarity thing, and I think Warner has interest in coming back here, and I think it, it, Matt Luke kind of has interest in bringing him back. I think it makes, I think in that sense, it makes sense. I don't think it's just people throwing something against the wall and see if it'll stick. What about other names that are already starting to float out? Are, are there any names that that make sense that that Ole Miss? Um, well, let me ask this a different way: Is Dan Warner? the equivalent of Mike McIntyre, where maybe there's somebody out there that you make a massive run at to make a really big splash, but you feel very comfortable with the idea of Dan Warner? I mean, maybe. I mean, this whole thing is only, you know, 
an hour into it, the whole development. So I think things could change from them. But it sounds as if right now that, that he's kind of the first person they'll go after. And so I, is there someone else, you know, Matt might set his sights on? I, I don't know. You know, Kendall Bryles maybe. I know there's been interest there from, from FSU and some other places about him. Um, you know, you could go a number of different ways. But I, I think Warner is definitely the first guy they're going to look at right now. What about a name like Matt Canada? So Mike Loxley gets the head coaching job at Maryland. Matt Canada was the interim head coach, then offensive coordinator for like a day, and then interim head coach again on the heels of the, the LSU experience experiment. I don't necessarily see that. I, I guess it's certainly possible that, that things, you know, things could end up playing out in a different way, but I don't necessarily see that right now. But again, all of this is kind of so new and so young, it's kind of hard to get an idea of who exactly is in play when, you know, the guy left what, forty five minutes ago? Yeah, and you know, if you rewind to a couple of years ago when Phil Longo was hired, and you think about some of the names that were were out there at the time, you remember T- TCU had the co-offensive coordinators uh, at the time. It was at Meacham and Sonny Cumby, uh, I think, who were the co-offensive coordinators. And those guys have, have split at this point. But you wonder if there are names like that that are out there that you would you would look at i mean are there names in the big 12 where offenses are prolific or does that feel too much like what phil longo's offense did for for people to feel comfortable with that i don't necessarily know if that matters in, in terms of whether people feel comfortable with something similar i think it's whatever style of offense matt luke prefers is kind of now this is his opportunity to get exactly what he wants on both sides of the ball. So, so what do you think that style of offense is that Matt Luke wants? I, 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 that's hard to answer at this point. I, I don't know. It, it, I, I imagine it'll take kind of a hard look at the personnel they'll have coming back. I imagine kind of the way Matt Corral plays will look will determine some of that. So, I'm not sure. A lot of questions, not a ton of answers. North Carolina's official football account at Tar Heel Football on Twitter. Has, uh, has announced three more coaches have joined Coach Matt Brown's staff. Phil Longo is the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and uh, they announced a wide receivers coach and an offensive line coach as well. Got more coming up with you at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. One hour in the books. That went by quickly. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, and Will East in the studio. Hey, Dad will join us an hour from now. We'll... uh, We'll do some different things uh, in this 4 o'clock hour, but obviously uh, one of the things that we're going to do is uh, continue to talk about the uh, the news today, which is that um, Phil Longo is leaving Ole Miss to go um, 
be the offensive coordinator for Mac Brown at North Carolina. And so Matt Luke's now got to have uh, an offensive coordinator. Greg and Nettleton on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Greg says, Richard, I'm one of your biggest fans. I've been for years. You know that. But uh, I need to say this, brother. Rebels have a big problem for years and years ahead of them when it comes to football. It's going to be a long time before it gets better. No quick fix, promise you, and may not happen then, just saying. Thanks, Uncle Greg. That's how he signed it, Uncle G. Do you agree with that? You and I were talking in the break, and I mean, if if you if you rewind over the last three years, um, you you, you kind of understand why Ole Miss fans are in the state of um, maybe in the mental state that they're in, right? Yeah, I mean, what this is the. Second time in the last three years they've replaced both coordinators. They've had a couple different head coaches since, um, or a head coaching change since, I guess I should say. Um, Yeah, so you've had a lot of turnover. So, yeah, I mean, generally I agree with that. I don't – but, I mean, I don't think anyone saw this as a quick fix from the get-go. I mean, I think, you know, Matt Luke knew it was going to be a long process. I think everyone involved did. I mean, that's what happens when you have – the sort of NCAA colonoscopy that you that you had for that long, and then now you're kind of trying to put the pieces back together, and now you're starting over with two more coordinators. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, but I don't think I don't think the ter- the coordinator turnover necessarily changed. I don't think it necessarily made it longer. I mean, I think it was going to be a long rebuild either way. Yeah, here's what I'm what I'm kind of interested to see is whether or not Ole Miss fans are content with progress. And willing to take a more measured approach and realize that you're not getting back to ten and two or ten and nine and three or whatever and a trip to the Sugar Bowl in a couple of years. Even even under Hugh Freeze. Okay, right. So so Hugh Freeze inherited a program that had gone four and eight, followed by two and ten. And in year one, he got the team to six and six in the regular season. And year two, he got them to seven and five. So they won the Birmingham Bowl in year one. They won the Music City Bowl in year two. In year three, they went to the what? Is that the Peach Bowl in year three? Yeah, 2014. So you make the jump to nine and three in the regular season in year three. Is that right? Nine and three, and then finished nine and four with a loss to TCU. And the following year, in the 2015 season, you go nine and three again in the regular season, but beat Oklahoma State in the Sugar Bowl to get to ten wins. And outside of the late 50s and early 60s, ten wins is kind of the high water mark for Ole Miss football. Hugh Freeze did it in four years. And then in year five, it fell off a cliff. And in the summer leading into year six, it fell into the abyss. And all the while, there was an NCAA investigation going. And so you were always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And maybe that's a bad cliche. 
So I, I, I guess my question is, what do Ole Miss fans want? So, so coming off of an awful season and scandal in the offseason in year one, when there was no bowl eligibility, Matt Luke went six and six, they would have gone to a bowl game. In year two, they go five and seven. Now, you and I were talking a little while ago about, you know, Phil Longo and whether or not some of the blame and the angst among Ole Miss fans that was directed at him was justified. You think it was based on the fact that the talent level on the offensive side of the ball was better than the offensive results. Yeah, I mean, they had 54 red zone trips this year. They scored 27 touchdowns. 14 of those came against non-Power 5 opponents. And then 21 field goals. I mean, that doesn't... That doesn't seem to equate. I mean, that doesn't seem to equate to the like the success versus the level of talent you had on that side of the ball. That doesn't necessarily seem to add up. So yeah, I mean, so, some of the uh, the text messages coming in on the C Spire text line. Will Hall for Ole Miss offensive coordinator just took a job at uh, Tulane. From Larry, the effects on talent and recruiting will be felt for at least two more years because of the NCAA investigation and infractions, and I guess penalties. Darren and Jackson, I don't foresee Matt Luke being the head coach long-term. John and Oxford, I think Ole Miss can get back to the 14 and 15 success, but the lasting effects of the NCAA are going to delay it. Anyone thinking that Ole Miss should fire Luke if they go 5-7 and seven again needs to pump the brakes. Chris and Laurel suggest Larry Fedora for offensive coordinator, just fired as the head coach at North Carolina. And Richard and Wiggins says, I'd be satisfied going bowling every year and maintain a clean respectable program. I mean, isn't that step one? Isn't step one getting back to kind of a, a floor of 6-6? Six and six, Where you're going to the postseason, and if you go 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five for a couple of years in a row, then maybe you build yourself to a point where you can get to 8 or 9 wins? I mean, sure, but that's what you're already doing, essentially. I mean, give or take a game. Like, they didn't really ever dip, like, drop that far below that. I mean, you ask what Ole Miss fans want, I would imagine they want stability. Nothing really feels stable, right, with all the turnover. they, You know, you had a chance to go out and hire someone after, you know, the 2017 season, and you chose to you know, stick with the interim coach, and then, you know, now you've got two more coordinators coming in here later. So I, I don't – I mean, it, it doesn't feel like a stable situation. You don't know how long – how long of a leash Matt Luke has or how long they're going to be there. So I think it's stability more so than anything. I don't think I mean, you go six and six and or five six and six and five and seven the last two years. I mean that's I mean you're you're a game away from doing what you already doing what you just described. They just weren't allowed to go to a bowl game, obviously. Yeah, but you gotta get to a bowl game now. Because now six now being five and six going into the egg bowl means you win that game, you get to keep playing, you lose that game, you're done for the year. If you're six and six going into the or six and five going into the Egg Bowl, you're now a win away from instead of going to what Birmingham or Memphis, going to Nashville or Charlotte. Uh, yeah, what, whatever. Ethan says I'd like for Ole Miss to be competitive again against the Alabamas and LSU's. Well, see, that's the that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Alabama is the best program right now in the history of college football. 
Not saying they're the best team. I'm saying they're the best and most consistent program currently that you've ever seen in college football with the greatest head coach in the history of the game. Did Ole Miss beat them in consecutive years? Yeah, they did. Was Ole Miss ever on par as a program with Alabama? No, they weren't. They weren't. What Alabama is doing is a machine. Well, what about LSU? That's that's the rival. Well, I mean, historically it is, and those games are fun, and Ole Miss fans and LSU fans always look forward to that game. But isn't that kind of where the similarities stop? Because LSU recruits at a top-five national level every single year, even when they've got disasters for head coaches. And they have a national championship in the last decade. And they've got multiple SEC championships. And so when you say, oh, I just want to be competitive with Alabama and LSU, you're saying, oh, I want to be on the exact same level as two of the ten best programs, one of which is the best program in college football over the last decade. I'm not saying don't hope for that. But expecting that? Aren't you... It's kind of asking a lot, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, that's the expectations that come when you have all the money that's in SEC football right now, coupled with a guy that took you to heights that you hadn't seen in a generation. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. All right, so the assistant coaching news does not end in Oxford today. We'll obviously get more into this in the 5 o'clock hour with, uh, with Brian Haydad. But Mark Hudspeth is set to become the new head football coach at Austin P. He is replacing Will Will Healy, who got uh, the East Carolina job, I think. Does that sound right? You may have to double-check on that for me. I'll check. Um, but Will Healy was a really young guy who did some good things at Austin P. in a short period of time and had a pretty bright star. And uh, got a head coaching job. So Mark Hudspeth is going to Austin P. So right after I said a few minutes ago that, um, uh, or maybe Rippy, you said it to me that that there's been, you know, seemingly pretty quiet off seasons and some stability in Mississippi State. You see a guy that was on staff for a year leave to be a head coaching job. Uh, Mark Hudspeth was in his second stint at Mississippi State, passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach. 2009-2010 under Dan Mullen, and back on staff this year. Seven years as the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette, inherited a team that went 3-9, and nine, and then uh, got them to a bowl game for the first time since 1970. Mark Hudspeth known to be a, uh, a really good recruiter, and... 
that's kind of where he has excelled at Mississippi State, part of the reason that he was on Joe Moorhead's staff. Where did Will Healy go? Charlotte. Charlotte. Thank you. That's right. It was the guy from James Madison that went to uh, went to East Carolina. So uh, we'll talk more about what that means for uh, for Mississippi State with um, Brian Haydad coming up a little bit later. All right. So this was inevitable. Th- this text was inevitable. Six zero one number. No name. So you're saying that us as Ole Miss fans should be happy being the floor mat of the SEC, that Ole Miss will never build a great football program again. No, that's not what I'm saying. But your text to the C Spire text line is the most predictable response to what I said a moment ago. And that's fine. You can react that way. So let's back up for a second. And this is not the first time that I've ever said this. What is a reasonable expectation for Ole Miss football? And frankly, this applies to Mississippi State in my mind as well. What's a reasonable expectation? A reasonable expectation to me is to be bowl eligible basically every single year. In the course of a 10-year window, is there a season where you go 5-7 and seven and just miss a bowl game? Sure. Probably so. Histor- history would tell you that that's going to happen. Maybe it's even a 4-8 and eight season. But the floor for Ole Miss as a program should be bowl eligibility. That means six wins. But don't stop there, okay? Don't just stop listening and go, oh, we're just a doormat for the SEC. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that's your baseline. And if you're achieving the baseline of bowl eligibility every year, then you are building a program, not building an individual team. You're building a program through recruiting where you are sustaining, you're redshirting players, you're developing talent, you're striking as best you can to get as many elite players in the state of Mississippi with the full knowledge that you are never going to dominate Mississippi. And, and when I say dominate, I mean out of the dandy doesn't get 10 of 12. It's not happening. Mississippi State doesn't get 10 out of 12. Ole Miss doesn't get 10 out of 12. There are years when just from the dandy dozen, one school gets six, the other school gets four and two go out of state. And then it flip-flops around. Maybe it's seven and two, and three guys or four guys go out of state. So you got to recruit well in the state of Mississippi, and then you got to cherry pick really elite players from other states as well. You've got to be tenacious in recruiting. And once you establish yourself as a bowl team every year, then you can kind of raise the floor a little bit. And that floor becomes seven and five. And if you're consistently getting to 7-5, and five, you're going to have years where you are positioned because you've got more upperclassmen than lowerclassmen. We're going to win eight games. And then, again, using that same 10-year window where maybe one time in a 10-year window you have a 5-7 and seven season, maybe there's one or two times in a 10-year span where you have a chance to win 9 or 10 games, where you stay healthy, where you catch some breaks, 
where maybe somebody else in the Western Division is down a little bit, and if you have consistently built a program where you are bowl eligible every single year, and you, you perk up from six to seven or eight, three or four times in a decade, and you have one year where you go five and seven, then in just the right circumstance, once, maybe twice in a 10-year window, you have a chance to win nine or ten games in the regular season, compete for a Western Division title, and if you're doing that, you have a chance to go to an access bowl. So a 10-year window that includes nine bowl games, one of which is in Memphis at the Liberty Bowl, one of which, maybe two of which are in Nashville, one time you go to Jacksonville, and then mixed into that, you also have a trip to the Peach Bowl or the Cotton Bowl, and maybe you have one trip to the Sugar Bowl. That's a 10-year window and a program that's a model of consistency. And I think that that is attainable. And I think that that's sustainable. So, if you want to be the guy that hears me say that and go, well, so you think we as Ole Miss fans should just be content with being the floor mat of the SEC? That's fine. Hear whatever you want to hear. But if you want to be a fan who kind of lives in reality, and knows that Ole Miss has a $100 million athletics budget, which puts it in the top 30 nationally, but puts it 12th in the SEC. Then you realize the importance of having good people who have the ability to do a little bit more with a little bit less is really important and having a program that is a model of consistency that stays out of trouble with the NCAA, that's not fighting probation, so that you've created this scenario where not only are you playing against everybody else, but you're also having to play against somebody from the outside. You just got to steer clear of that. Then to me, that's a program that you can be proud of, and frankly, it's a a program that will garner respect from the outside. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, and I think the the latter part of what you just talked about is what, particularly in the last decade or so, is what Ole Miss has been lacking, right, is any sort of consistency, right? Like when they have success, they haven't had sustained success because you go, you know, 08, 09, back-to-back Cotton Bowls, you know, 10, 11, really bad, kind of go back up on an upward trajectory, 12 through 14, 15, and then it goes way back down in a hurry. So there's been a lot of peaks and valleys, and I think, to your point, you know, if you're building a program long-term, you'd rather have the more stable, consistent kind of trajectory, and Ole Miss hasn't been able to do that really in a long time. Yeah, uh, text message here, Jeff in the Delta. He said, personally, I don't think being able to go to a bowl is an issue. I think the fan base is frustrated because the level of the play didn't come close to the level of the talent. Talent was there to be able to win more games, but it just wasn't happening. Yes, it was there on the offensive side of the ball, but you can't win consistently. You can't be competitive consistently when you're only good on one side of the ball. Haven't you seen that? Being elite offensively, but being a mess on the other side of the ball, that's a tough formula to win in the best conference in college football. Somebody's about to text in, look at Oklahoma. <sighs> sure. <laughs> no, I, I certainly I, I 
I, I, I certainly agree with that. It is. I mean, it's hard if, when you when you're. If anything, we talked about this a lot during the year. If anything, like. I guess unpredictable is the right word because, right, we tried to prognosticate the outcome of these games for 12 weeks this year. When you're so extreme on one side and so extreme in the opposite direction on the other, it's hard to predict what's going to happen on a weekly basis. And kind of to that point, it's hard to have any sort of consistent success. To to your idea of look at Oklahoma, they just had back-to-back Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. Oh, I was joking, but yes. Yeah, I mean... That's far from the norm. Okay, here, here's a disagreement with what I said. And, and I completely respect that this is your opinion. He says, I disagree with your 10-year window. He said, you can say what you want, but if your expectation is to win 10 games in one or possibly two seasons in a 10-year window, then your expectations are too low. Not you say you would personally think that settling for the chance of being mediocre in 10 years, there's no room for anything more than being mediocre. That's fine. You you're, you really are misinterpreting what I'm saying. It's not about being mediocre. It's about positioning yourself to take advantage and have great seasons when the opportunity presents itself. That That's my take. I appreciate the uh, the interaction. A lot of, a lot of text that we'll get to coming up next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. With you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. See, I, 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 um, I misspoke early today when Will East said, "Will, I said, how's your uh, anything going on this afternoon? You remember what you did? Crumpled up this piece of paper. Crumpled up the piece of paper and tossed it <laughs> inside. There's your plan for the show today. I got, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff to get to. No, there's not. Not here. Not today." And this has evolved into a really interesting conversation, and I appreciate you interacting on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M I S S and on the C Spire text line 601 879 4395. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad will join us uh, at 5 o'clock this afternoon, and we'll dive deeper into what Mark Hudspeth leaving and going to Austin P means. Does that mean anything from a recruiting standpoint with National Signing Day eight days away in Starkville? Uh, does it mean anything from a coaching standpoint? So we'll get to that coming up in uh, in just a little bit. Um, in just a little bit. But there's some some. Thi- I think we've got some offshoots in this conversation that have uh, really spurred some fun conversation. Let's see here, Tim and McGee. Just me personally, I'm tired of being mediocre in every sport. Okay. You're talking about Ole Miss specifically. Can you call baseball mediocre? I mean, I know everybody wants to point to postseason success in one trip to the College World Series, but it's better than mediocre, right? Rippy. Oh, yeah. I thought, yes. Yeah, I mean, baseball is better than mediocre. Yeah, I mean, you're... Yeah. Baseball is a top 15 program nationally at Ole Miss. Yes. Yeah, I mean, easily. Maybe a top 10 program. But but I, I certainly mediocre. feel safe saying top 15 program. 
Basketball's been mediocre. Two trips to the uh, NCAA tournament in the last 13 years. Going, well, 12 years for the Andy Kennedy regime. They're on the bubble a bunch. Bunch of NIT trips, but only two trips to the NIT. So, I don't know if mediocre is the right word. I might just say average. Very average. It's for Ole Miss and what they... For most of Kennedy's tenure, the interest and in the kind of investment they put in basketball, it's above average. But in the okay. grand scheme of things, yes, it's probably right on average. Uh, okay, so results that matched what you put in. Uh, Ole Miss got results that were comparable or better than what it put into the basketball program until recently when they built the new building. Yeah. Even though, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other conversation for another day. But yes, I would say largely that is correct. Um, Bruce says, Richard, I know you're an Ole Miss alum. I've got lots of friends that are as well, and I would agree that would agree with most of what you've said in the last 30 minutes. However, problem is some Ole Miss fans are so conceited about Ole Miss football that they think the success of the 14 and 15 seasons should be the norm for Ole Miss. And Bruce, I don't know if that has to do with being conceited, and I don't know if that's unique to Ole Miss fans. I think when you have a small window of elevated success, people expect that to become the norm. And the the example that I've always used, whether you're talking about Ole Miss or Mississippi State, they're just not operating in a vacuum. If Ole Miss and Mississippi State individually were growing, their budgets were getting bigger, their stadiums were getting nicer, they were recruiting at a, at a really good level, and everybody around them was staying the same. Alabama just stayed right where it is. Georgia just stayed right where it is. LSU stayed right where it is. Arkansas stayed right where they are. Then you've got the ability to ascend. The problem is, for one team to get better and move up in the pecking order, you got to climb over somebody else. And if you want to go to the top, you got to climb over a bunch of somebody else's. So tell, explain to me how you do that in the SEC. When Georgia, who by all accounts is elite, they're averaging 10.6 wins per year over the course of a decade under Mark Richt, and they play for one national championship and win a couple of SEC titles, and they say, that's not good enough you're fired. We're going to get somebody better, and the better they bring in plays in a national championship game, wins an SEC title, and lost an SEC title in dramatic fashion in year three. Year one was a down year for Georgia, and they went seven and five. The second that something goes wrong in Alabama, they will pour every resource known to man into it to get it back. Auburn spent half the season talking about paying a $32 million buyout to get rid of a coach that they don't like. It's not that the level of success fell way off. They don't like him, and they're in a state with the best program in college football. So, so again, I, I'm, I'm not saying that wanting to climb up is a bad idea. I'm just saying it sits somewhere between hard and next to impossible to do it consistently. That's why I go to the, if you've got all your ducks in a row, if everything is in order, if you're winning 
at a steady pace, you position yourself to be able to, when the cards are stacked just right, take advantage of a special year. I agree, but wouldn't once the whenever it is the Saban you know dynasty presumably comes to an end, I'm, I'm assuming he doesn't last forever. Who knows? He could live to be live to be a couple hundred years, like old. the Bionic Man. Yeah, you know, with modern advances in science and medicine or whatever Ricky Bobby said. But point being, when it comes to an end eventually, um, you know, is it? I mean, the the. My point being, the West would be much more wide open if you took Alabama out of it, right? Particularly in the last four to five years. There hasn't been a consistent second and a consistent third. I mean, Auburn and LSU have been kind of going through some up and down years and things like that. So I think that's part of people's frustration. I think there's a saving fatigue to all of this as well. Okay. And, and now let's use this as a jumping off point because there was a question. Bo says, this could be a sinful suggestion. But how does Ole Miss's budget compare to Big 12 schools? Would it benefit Ole Miss in the long term to switch conferences? Okay, the short answer to that is absolutely not. Look at Tulane. Look at Sewanee. Look at Georgia Tech. You do not leave the SEC, period. Under any circumstances, you don't leave the SEC. Would it make sense for Vanderbilt to go be in the Ivy League? I, I, maybe. Would, would it make more sense for Arkansas geographically to go be in the Big 12? 100%. Is Arkansas ever going to the Big 12? Heck no. You, you don't leave the SEC. You just don't. But to your question about budgets, okay, I mentioned Ole Miss's budget a second ago. Vanderbilt doesn't report, but let's assume that Ole Miss's budget is bigger than Vanderbilt's. So we've got 13 schools. Ole Miss is... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 out of 13. With Vanderbilt not reporting because they're private. Ole Miss's budget is $20 million larger than Missouri's, $17 million larger than Mississippi State's. But do you know what the gap is between Ole Miss at 12 and Arkansas at 11? $12 million. They're 13 million behind Kentucky. They're 19 million behind South Carolina. They are 28 million behind Tennessee. They are 30 million behind Auburn. 30 million behind LSU. 32 million behind Florida. 45 million behind Georgia. And then you get to a different level. Alabama has a $174 million athletic budget. And Texas A&M has a $211 million athletic budget. All right, so how does that compare to the Big 12? Let's use Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Ole Miss, we said, what, $113 million? Third largest budget in the Big 12. They would be $3 million ahead of West Virginia. Mississippi State would have the fourth largest budget in the Big 12. So, Bo, to your question of would you ever leave the con- Heck no, you wouldn't leave. The SEC. What are the first two there? I'm assuming Texas, Oklahoma. Texas, 214 million, largest in all of college football. Oklahoma, seventh largest at 155 million. Man, AM's market 211 or whatever this is really something, isn't it? It is. That's crazy. Where would Ole Miss and Mississippi State stack up in the ACC? 
Ole Miss would have the third largest budget in the ACC, a million dollars bigger than Clemson's. Mississippi State would have the fourth largest budget in the ACC, $4 million larger than North Carolina's. They are 12th and 13th, or 11th and 12th out of the 13 teams that report in the SEC. How about the Big Ten? Hey, you got some big ones with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State. Maybe middle of the pack in the Big Ten. A lot of that is because the Big Ten and the SEC have the networks, right? They have the networks. They've got the money. Ole Miss would have the third largest budget in the Pac-12. Mississippi State would have the fifth largest budget in the Pac-12. But you're at the bottom of your own league. That's what makes it so hard. So hard. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Do you ever get so excited that you just can't wait? Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi team. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial! Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Will East in for Michael Borky this week. Brian Haydad will join us shortly. Tweet to the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. So if we're going to settle for middle of the pack in football, I'm looking for another Ole Miss sport. That's from R. Will Height 23. Hey, Will, can you go back and clip the part where I said that Ole Miss should settle or Mississippi State should settle I for can, being middle of the pack? I can selectively edit and make you say that. Okay. If, if, Please if I, do. That's what we do here. Yeah, if, if we can like piece together random times where I said the word middle or I said the word of or I said the word the and pack and then maybe splice those four words together so that our will height can uh, really feel good about what he's saying. That would be good. That would be good. Because at no point did I ever say that Ole Miss or Mississippi State should settle for being in the middle of the pack. Will, for me, you can just go back a couple shows and chop up some stuff to make me have some exotic take on, like, maybe the moon landing or something. <laughs> What are those little mashups where they, you know, they they do the lip sync and then they put words with it, you know, where yeah, we're like Hillary Clinton's <laughs> talking about, I love to roast marshmallows or you know whatever. <sighs> That's the kind of reaction that you're going to generate when you kind of put expectations into a realistic lens, because I, I mean, that's kind of right the the allure and, and passion that comes with college football, right, is everybody's trying to get to the top, but in reality there's only a select few ways to get there. Uh, okay, so when and we there's were... There's only a few teams that can get there consistently. When we were walking through the budgets earlier, and I, I told you Mississippi State's and Ole Miss's, and then the three immediate schools above them, Arkansas, Kentucky, South Carolina, what did you say? 
Ole Miss's would look more like those schools and probably a little bit more so than theirs if they were the only school in the state. If, or not even, I wasn't even necessarily saying that. If Mississippi had one school, like if state combined with Ole Miss or if there was one state, SEC whatever. school right. in the state of Mississippi. Yeah. So you're not going back to rewrite state laws and recreate universities. You, you, we, we can't jump in the DeLorean and go to 1848 and then 18, I shouldn't know what year Mississippi State was founded, but I don't. Let's just call it 1860. Maybe it was earlier than that. And and have the people who were saying, well, one's too good, we're going to have another one. I mean, if, if you could rewind 150 years, 130 years, whatever the number is, and not create two schools, then the results would be different. Because then Ole Miss would have, uh, maybe I should call it Ole Mississippi State, to try and keep everybody better. <laughs> <laughs> Old Mississippi State at that point would have a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty million dollar athletics budget, an eighty-seven thousand seat football stadium, and what did I say to you earlier? Would have multiple college football national championships in the last thirty years. Uh, yeah, state of Mississippi. Would. The talent, because you said the talent, like the talent pool you're picking from is greater, which I don't necessarily disagree with the second part of that statement, but. But that's like, but because of the reality of the situation is why you're saying people's expectations should be the way they are, right? Because I mean that's literally all you can kind of expect when you have two schools in a state, two schools in the SEC that are separated by ninety miles. That's what it comes down to, right? I mean, you're seeing from a mere football results perspective, you're kind of seeing the similar thing at Auburn, right? As they're going crazy over the results not being good enough in some degrees. And they don't like their coach, okay. and a lot of that is because of what's across the state, right? Thank you, Haydad. Eighteen seventy-eight is when Mississippi State was founded. So, if somewhere in the thirty-year window between eighteen forty-eight when Ole Miss opened its doors and eighteen seventy-eight when Mississippi State opened its doors, there hadn't been some uppityness about whether or not farmers' kids should be going to Oxford, and whether or not. There should be a vet school and a ag school tied to a place with a medical school and a law school. Then maybe you're not dealing with this. Can you imagine one university in the state of Mississippi that had a law school, a world-class vet school, a world-class pharmacy school, a world-class medical school, an 85 or 90,000 seat football stadium and every kid in the entire state grows up a fan of that school? That's called Arkansas. That's called Louisiana. With no disrespect to Arkansas State or directional Louisiana schools. No disrespect intended. When there is one school in a state of three million people and everybody's focused on the same thing, I know Arkansas has been a little bit of a disaster. Sure, you're going to rise and fall. Everybody rises and falls. Some... But instead of two schools fighting at each other and nipping at each other and trying to make sure the other one's getting yelled at by the NCAA, you'd have two schools in an entire state working together to make sure that 10 of the top 12 every single year and 15 of the top 20 every single year stayed in-state and played for the in-state power? Hour 
Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Welcome. If we had a round of applause, we'd give it to him right now. Brian Haydad on the Farm Bureau phone land. Hey, Dad, I hope you got some energy today. I've been a little fired up. Let's go. I'm in. Let's Good. Roll. Good. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, then Mississippi Land Bank is the place for you because that's what they do. They finance land, and they finance a whole bunch of stuff related to the purchase of land. Equipment needs if you're a farmer. Maybe you're going to build a dream home on a piece of property right outside the city limits. Maybe you want to build a shop. Maybe it's time for a small tractor. Maybe it's time for a big tractor. You you get where I'm going with this? Maybe you need to refinance an existing loan. Mississippi Land Bank can do all of those things. They've been doing them for 100 years. And they happen to be some of the finest people that you will ever come across, and I mean that across the board, not individually one or two people within the organization. I'm talking about the entire group of people that you will deal with at Mississippi Land Bank as a group, as fine as they come, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Hey, Dad, I said um, I said a second ago that I was kind of fired up, and I want you to be a little fired up. Sure, sure. There's a guy who's more fired up than either of us are. Temple is playing Duke in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. Yeah. Jeff Collins got a new head coaching job. He's headed off to Georgia Tech. And so when Swag your head Lana. coach leaves, you do what now? Swag Lanta. Swag Lanta. That's right. So somebody's got to fill that role on an interim yeah. basis. And that somebody is Ed Foley. Today, the college football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Great deals going on. End-of-year savings at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Stop by Test Drive 1 today. If you're thinking about a 2018 F-150, you better think fast because there aren't that many of them left. Those are getting harder and harder to find, but you can find a great deal on the truck that you fall in love with at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. I just want you to hear this. From the Temple Football Twitter account, Coach Foley, Temple assistant Ed Foley, longtime assistant, interim head coach for the Independence Bowl, addressing the media and the people of Shreveport about his team coming to the Independence Bowl. But our football team is going to come down here ready to play. We're going to practice really hard. We're going to play really hard. I hope that we play well, but I know that we'll play hard. And we're going to find out about Duke, and we're going to find out about Temple, and we're going to find out about which one of those football clubs wants to hit each other harder or longer. That's what we're going to decide here in yeah. 20 seconds. And while we're, while we're getting ready to do that, I hope that you see the finest group of young men that's ever been through Shreveport. I hope you have a chance to see them hold a door open for you or say thank you for being here or be truly appreciative because, guys, I love this team. And I love these players, and I know you will too when you get around. Please get around our players. They are going to love you. They are going to love Shreveport, and you're going to love them. And they are going to be so appreciative of being here. Guys, it's going to be one of the greatest 
that you've ever had here, I promise you that. So we're fired up to be here. Thank you to everybody for having us. All right. That was Ed Foley. That's your college football fix. That guy is fired up. Yeah, I saw, I saw that video earlier today, and I saw the, uh, the pictures. You know, the video, I actually saw the video, so I saw what the guy looked like. And can we call him motivational speaker, Ed Foley? He, yeah. he lives in a van down by the river. <laughs> I saw somebody link that video to go along with it. It's, as, it's, it's uh, perfect. As he just needs well. to be hitching up his pants as he talks. We're hey, Dad, get you sent me a football back on the right track. <laughs> well done. Well done. Uh, you done a few Chris Farley impersonations in your day? I, I, well, you know, I, as a fat man in a little coat every now and then, yes, I have. Beautiful. Uh, beautiful. Bradley wants to know if that speech was after happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been a happy hour lunch today uh, for, for him. Um, I, I told Will East reaction earlier today when we started the show. I was like, hey, here's the rundown for the show. And he crumpled it up and threw it away. You sent me a similar text message. So, uh, so about that plan for this afternoon, uh, yeah. big news in Oxford, but also today big news in Starkville. It didn't happen until, I guess, officially break until right after the show started uh, this afternoon. Mark Hudspeth is going to be the head coach at Austin P. Will Healy, who was thought really highly of uh, in some college football circles, takes the job at Charlotte, opens up that Austin P. job. And Mark Hudspeth, who especially for the first five or six years of his tenure at Louisiana Lafayette, had a lot of success, yeah. now a head coach again. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that that had always sort of been the idea that he was going. I, he wouldn't be in Starkville for very long. He was looking to get back at it as a head coach, and uh, this opportunity prevailed itself, and then he took it. So good luck to him. I thought he did a, a pretty good job here in Starkville. The tight ends weren't a huge part of the offense, but from a recruiting standpoint, he was in on some of MSU's uh, bigger commitments of the 2019 class. Uh, so, and Hudspeth, you know, recruiting has always been a strength of his. He he got talent. To, to Louisiana while he was there, and I, I believe that he'll be able to get talent to Austin P. And, of course, that opens up a spot for Mississippi State. So, you know, I, I don't think – I can't remember the last time there was a, an offseason without at least one spot opening up. It's just, that's just the nature of this business nowadays. Um, so we'll see who uh, who's on the short list for MSU. Obviously, a couple names have already popped up that then people are going to be familiar with. Names like, you know, Tony Hughes's name has already come out. I think DJ Looney's name has popped up, so – uh, we'll see. We'll hmm. see who ends up in Starkville. I, I don't know the time frame for it yet. And the university hasn't released an official statement, obviously. Um, and it, they do know that Hudspeth is leaving immediately, though he will not be a part of bowl preparations, which start this Saturday. So bowl preparations start on Saturday. You mentioned the recruiting aspect of it. Is is there any concern in the immediate uh, that that his departure, if he was a primary recruiter on a player or two or a handful? Uh, that eight days from now that could have an effect. Nah, doesn't doesn't appear to be. One of the guys he was in on is Jerrion Jones, who was about as locked in on Mississippi State as any prospect. He's been sort of the lead dog as far as recruiting other players to this class. Uh, I know Charles Moore was one of his guys. He's in a longtime MSU commitment, and everybody's very confident he'll end up in Starkville. Um, and the other thing that makes you excited if you're a Mississippi State fan, if you want to look at it like that, is they move those players over to Charles Huff, who is maybe the best recruiter on the staff as well. So uh, not, not any any real worries for Mississippi State on the recruiting front with the departure of Hudspeth. Uh, do you think this is the only departure that uh, will end up happening on this staff? Well, you never say never. I mean, all those guys have been out on the road and recruiting, and it, it appears to be pretty pretty solid. Bob Shute's name popped up for a couple of head coaching positions, but those have already been filled. 
Uh, you know, you'll have to see, you know, if does somebody want to make him a big time, you know, Aranda style offer uh, to, to, to coach defense. And of course, Mississippi State could obviously match those offers if if they truly wanted to. They, they could easily go up to two, two, two million and some change a year if, if they wanted to with Shoe. But I would think they would want to because it's. <laughs> the, the defensive coordinator job at Mississippi State has been such a revolving door uh, for the past decade that, you, you know, coming off of a, a season like this, you'd like to have some continuity there. So uh, beyond that, Luke Getze, I think we talked about him last week where his name had popped up uh, for the Akron job. His name has also popped up in connection with some NFL jobs, you know, if he has a desire to go back there or not. Uh, but, you know, NFL jobs, those aren't going to come open for another month. So that's nothing, that's nothing to – look at right this second. So Shoup's obviously the guy to, to worry about, but as of this moment in time, I haven't heard his name in connection with any other jobs. Did Akron get filled, or is that one still open? I believe it's still open. I, I, I haven't seen it be filled. Yeah. I'll, I'll check for you. No, I mean, I, I think you're right. It's just yeah. you're kind of in that year, or that season, and it's a little bit different type of job. Yeah, not yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ohio State would have would have been something that you know that might have been a domino to set off a bunch of things, yeah. but they already had their guy. You know, if, if Ryan Day wasn't their guy and they were going to do a search, that would open up. That would start a a ripple effect that would open up in probably three or four jobs by the end of it. Gene Smith getting ripped for uh, not doing a national search for the head coaching job, hiring somebody from within. Maybe I mean we've Day heard that is, criticism yeah. at a slightly more local level. Yeah, Day, Day is, a, is was the hot candidate though. I mean, he was on other people's list. He, he, he I think he, I'm pretty sure he interviewed with with Cohen last year uh, for for the job that Joe Moorhead eventually got. So, you know, they felt like he was the next guy, and you know that, that he was the next you know part of that tree that includes Dan Mullen and Tom Herman, and Steve Adazio. So they, they they felt confident about him, so they made the move. Sports Talk Mississippi, your college football fix down in the rearview mirror, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We have plenty to get into with Hey Dad. Uh, we'll talk more about the uh, the shift happening here uh, at Ole Miss with uh, Rebels now searching for a new offensive coordinator. There was another commitment for Mississippi State last night. We'll get into that and a guy who has a degree from Ole Miss. Wore red and blue on the football field, but has evolved into one of the better recruiters at Mississippi State. It's coming up next. Also didn't spend much time on Dak Prescott yesterday and the night that he had on Sunday. We'll get to that coming up. Plus more of your text on the C Spire text line. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. It doesn't get any better than this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi Tuesday afternoon. Hey, hey, Dad! Somebody after the show yesterday. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard what we did or not. We we called Michael Borky on his yeah. honeymoon. You did not. Oh, one hundred percent, we did. <laughs> Will, tell him what happened. Uh, we called him. Well, first of all, they put us on a hold, obviously, and we heard about yeah, all I'm the sure wonderful amenities that that resort has to offer, which are pretty nice. Uh, yeah. And then Borky gets on there, and his first thing is, uh, Will. 
And then Richard starts talking. He was confused at first. And then he puts Katie on, his new wife. Yeah. Uh, Richard, do you want to explain it after that? Uh, oh, you don't want to tell the rest of the story. I'll, so I'll tell I go. you the rest of the story. She said, I'm glad you guys called when you did and not 15 minutes ago. <laughs> and then she said, "Then oh, she said this. She goes, wait, we shouldn't put that on radio after She's she like, oh, said it's too late. <laughs> she goes, wait, can I say that on the radio? Uh, well, Mrs. Borky, you just did. <laughs> So anyway, somebody suggested that we should call Borky every day this week. I, I no, refuse to be that guy. Come on, now. Don't. I, I refuse to be that guy. Uh, but it was fun. Uh, it was fun yesterday. Um, God. <laughs> you like that, don't you? <laughs> I, I don't even know what Borky said. I mean, he, he was being nice and didn't mind us calling and all those things. And then Katie kind of stole the show. So yeah. uh, ah. pretty, uh, pretty good stuff. Um, when you, you heard earlier today that, uh, that Phil Longo was leaving and taking the North Carolina job, what was your reaction? Uh, well, it, I, I think I tweeted about this. I am just, it's just fun to watch the difference in opinion between national media and local media who cover that program. And of course, Ole Miss fans, you know, from the national media, it's a lot of what a tremendous hire by Mac Brown. He's, he's showing that he is going to update his offense and get into the, what, what offense is today in college football. And Longo, what a great job he did at Ole Miss. And then you look at Ole Miss fans, and they're tweeting pictures of celebrating crowds, and they're, oh, my God, we've been saved. We've been saved from Phil Longo. So quite a difference of opinion. I, that's, that's what I found the most interesting. Hmm. I, I agree. Uh, you know, w- when you look at the overall numbers – the offensive numbers were very good, but I think yeah. Ole Miss fans would point to the fact that you've got um, you had potentially three first rounders. You've got you know three or four NFL players on the offensive side of the ball, and you had a really good quarterback and kicked the highest percentage of field goals in the red zone of any team at the division one or at the Power Five level this year. And it's hard to win games when your defense is terrible and your offense is kicking field goals. Yeah, I mean, you really do have to dig a little deeper and, and look at Ole Miss beyond just the, the the season total numbers because you know South the, who was Southern Illinois. I mean, that's two that's two games worth of offense in one game. It's almost sure. like Ole Miss got an extra game in there. So, uh, yeah, you know, when you look at what they did in SEC play, especially against the higher ranked defenses, you know, that sort of tells the tale for Phil Longo. But that said, you're going to the ACC. You're not going to play those defenses anymore. So maybe maybe he'll be successful. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's something to that. People were were comparing um, Oklahoma earlier to having an elite offense and a bad defense and how that was any different than Ole Miss having a a good offense and a bad defense. And my response was pretty simple. They don't play SEC defenses, ever. None. I mean, Texas is the closest thing to an SEC defense this year in the Big 12, and they would be a middle-of-the-pack at best SEC defense. Right. So, yeah. So we'll bit, see what uh, happens with them. A little bit different neighborhood. So, another commitment for Mississippi State um, from a recruiting standpoint last night. Who was it? What are the details? Nick Penley, a big six foot five, 290 pound offensive lineman out of uh, Canton, Georgia, Creek View High School. Had offers from State, uh, had offers from USC, uh, had an offer from uh, 
I'm trying to think. He had, he had some pretty – North Carolina, we're just, just talking about them. Also had offers from the Air Force Academy and, and the Army. So those are – that leads you to believe that academics won't be an issue with this particular player. He, he's obviously a smart kid. Um, MSU did drop an offensive lineman today from its class, Montrevious Richardson, a, a JUCO guy that they didn't think they could get into to, to school before – fall camp opened up so they just decided to move on from him just a victim of the numbers game more or less but state now has six offensive linemen committed uh which you know we talked about it it was a huge position of need for msu they only signed three high school offensive linemen in their last two classes combined so they had to go out and i mean i thought thought five was the minimum they're at six now and there's a lot of a lot of rumor that they're going around that there's going to be a seventh guy who could be in this class pretty soon. So State had to get some big guys up front. They've gone out and done that. And that's a credit to Joe Moorhead and a credit to, uh, to Marcus Johnson, who is, like I think we're, we're going to talk about him now, uh, sort of evolved into a, a fantastic recruiter for, for Mississippi State. Yeah, first of all, quick rewind on you talking about dropping an offensive lineman. The yeah. reality is kind of this. If you can't get a junior college guy yeah. in mid-year, yeah then You're there are your fewer time. and fewer programs who are willing to, um, to to bring one of those guys in. You have to be an elite, elite talent to tell, to be a JUCO player and say, I can't be there until August. I mean, that's right. got to be somebody – you're talking about holding a spot. That's got to be a, a, a difference maker from day one kind of player. And, I mean, there's just not a lot of those, especially at the junior college level. So, yeah, for, for Richardson, you know, committed to stay out of high school uh, – Went to Mississippi Delta, transferred out of there to Georgia Military, and it just kept delaying and delaying. And now he's here, and you know we'll see what his other options are. Do you have loyalty to the person that signs your paycheck? Do I? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it's it's more of a general question. I mean, I was asking you specifically. Yeah. Okay. But maybe I'm like, I'm kind of asking the question collectively. I'm sure there are some exceptions, but as a general rule. You have a great deal of loyalty to the company or the individual who signs your paycheck because they are allowing you to feed your family, to feed yourself, to have experiences in life, etc. So I'm using your words here, not mine. We should talk about how Marcus Johnson has evolved from, quote, an Ole Miss guy that no fan should trust, close quote, yes. mm-hmm. to potentially the best recruiter on Mississippi State staff. When Johnson was hired, when I tell you that the, the, the outrage on social media and on message boards was, was high, I am not lying to you. I mean, there was a lot of, how can, how can we bring this guy in? Oh, a rebel. Played for David Cutcliffe. He, he'll, 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 he'll steer recruits to Ole Miss. He'll, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll leave us at the first opportunity and blah, blah, blah. And, and just, you know, paranoia. Uh, and then, you know, you get into the season with Marcus Johnson a little bit, and, and you think about the Florida and the Kentucky games and how bad State was offensively, and, you know, how Josh Allen and, and that Florida defense really lit up Mississippi State those, those nights. There was a lot of talk. Wow, Johnson's going to be the first one on the chopping block when all this is over. And then we get into November, and State's, you know, moving the ball at will, and we get to, you know, Elton Jenkins being a first-team All-American and a likely, you know, first, second, maybe third-round NFL draft choice, high NFL draft choice. And now Marcus Johnson is just bringing in recruits left and right. It's, it's a little different system than Dan Mullen had in that Mullen's guy sort of recruited by region. Didn't really, you know, you, you talk to your position coach, but your region recruiter was your main guy. Under Moorhead, it's a, it's a little bit more of a team effort from what I can tell. Everybody sort of pulls their weight, but you have a lot bigger connection with your position coach. And Marcus Johnson has gone out there. 
And in a time of need for Mississippi State to get offensive linemen, he's delivering them. And this is, you know, he's got two commitments in the last three days. He's likely to get another one before the early signing period ends. And, and I mean, that's a pretty good job and a pretty good turnaround for a guy that, you know, like I said, when I interviewed him the first time, that was one of my first or second questions was, you know, there's a lot of, of, of eyes on you because you play, where you played college football. And he said, look, man, you know, I'm, I'm a, it, it basically made it sound like I'm an adult. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to work. I got to do my job. If I want to keep my job, if I want to be able to progress in this, you know, this profession, progress in this profession, that was tough. Uh, you know, I got to do a good job here. And, you know, where I played college football doesn't have anything to do with that. What is it Scott Van Pelt says? Everybody's from somewhere. Yeah. And, I mean, at the end of the day, he's a Mississippi guy. You know, he knows how to recruit in this state, but he's been around. He's, you know, worked with good coaches, worked with David Cutcliffe, who's as good a college football coach, you know, as there is top to bottom. And, he, you know, it, the, the lessons he's learned are paying off. And I talked about this uh, a little bit on, on the Thunder and Lightning podcast, which you can hear tomorrow. I said, you know, for, a, for an assistant coach, if they can go to a, a player and like, look, you know, I've put so-and-so in the league and I've put these players in the NFL and I know how to do that. That's great. That's a great selling point. Marcus Johnson can go in the living room and say, I played in the NFL. I, and when I talk about knowing how to get to the NFL, I know how to get to the NFL. That is a big plus for any coach who has that experience. State has a couple of guys like – well, State, State has two guys like that with, with him and Terrell Buckley. And I don't think it's a whole lot of coincidence that most people will tell you that right now those are two of State's better recruiters. Yeah. Well, it kind of goes back to what I was saying again. I mean, when, when your livelihood depends on you being good at your job and someone says, I will pay you multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do this job for me – you're going to give it your best. E- even if somewhere in a closet framed in your house, you have the jersey they gave you on senior day that says you played football at Ole Miss. Or yeah. if it were vice versa. Yeah. Um, oh, it would be a re- if, if Wayne Madkin was in the coaching profession and right. had been hired by Ole Miss, yeah. Yeah. It, it, do that's job. who's paying him. You're going to do the best job that you can. And Marcus Johnson has done a really, really good job. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888-808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Good to have you along for the ride. You can always text the show on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. C Spire customer Inspired On Wednesday, that's tomorrow, the JT Show will be live from Stone's Jewelry on Main Street in downtown Tupelo. Come ignite magical Christmas savings with discounts throughout the entire store. Bring a gift or donation for Sanctuary Hospice House, such as blankets, fuzzy socks, chapsticks, lotions, crossword puzzles, canned goods, snacks, wipes, paper, nutritional supplements, and be entered to win a prize each hour from Stone's Jewelry in downtown Tupelo. And then on Friday... JT will be broadcasting live from the brand-new Corner Market 
food store in Midtown Hattiesburg. They're collecting toys for Home of Hope for Children and celebrating the opening of one of Hattiesburg's newest and biggest businesses. Bring a toy, come join the fun as we work together to make this a special Christmas for these special kids. It's JT in Midtown Hattiesburg, sponsored by Corner Market Food Stores, the Citizens Bank, and by the Lamar County Board of Supervisors. Um, how much of the Cowboys game did you watch on Sunday? Uh, not very much of it, but I saw the numbers. How good were the numbers? Career-high passing yards for Dak Prescott, and yeah. in the second half in overtime, he was lights out. Yeah, it was winning time, and he, and he, he took over there for, for the Cowboys. And, you know, I, we were ta- I talked about the Cowboys a little bit earlier in the year when, when Dak was really struggling and the Cowboys were really struggling. And, you know, I, I've put a lot of the uh, the faults of that franchise at the, at the foot of ownership because, you know, two years ago you had the, the winner and the runner-up of Rookie of the Year, and you really didn't do much to build around them. Instead, you sort of let, you know, guys get away more than not. Um, but then, they, you know, they made a move that a lot of people criticized in, in getting Amari Cooper for a first-round draft choice, but that has given them a, a, a big spark. And it shouldn't be a big surprise. Cooper's a great receiver, so it's not. it shouldn't be a big surprise that the Cowboys are suddenly better at passing when they have an elite receiver. I mean, Dak would probably be the first one to tell you that. So, yeah, he's playing really well right now, and he's got that, that franchise, you know, it looks like they're going to end up with a playoff spot. And, they're going to be a dangerous team. You know, they beat the Saints earlier this year. That they're, they're, They've got momentum right now. So, you know, Dak is, is doing all of the right things to land that second contract that everybody sort of has their eye on right now. Um, early in the game, if, if I did not watch it, but I was kind of following along on Twitter and, you know, everything else that was, was out there. Right. Um, wasn't great early. Like, there were nah. Cowboys fans that I was seeing all over Twitter that were so frustrated and then all of a sudden he just comes to life. Yeah, yeah. He And, you know, I saw some of the same stuff on social media that, that you're talking about, and he, he wasn't very good. It's was very similar to what the Saints had going on uh, Sunday. They, they just they started off slow, but then they, 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 when they hit their stride, they were, they were nearly unbeatable. Um, you know, and, and with Dak, it's, it's a little different because as much as Mississippi State people love Dak, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, when, when you're, the, when you're the, uh, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys – you have you just it just comes with a certain level of criticism. There's no getting around it. It's like being the cleanup hitter for the Yankees. It's like being the point guard for the for the Celtics or the Lakers or something. You just you're just going to have criticism because that's a franchise and a fan base that expects excellence. They expect to win championships, and so if they're not getting that, they you know they're going to pin it on who they they perceive as the lead dog, and that's what Dak Prescott is there. So that said, you know, going back to an interview I did uh, about a month ago with John Machota from the Dallas Morning News. If if there is any dissent among Dallas people uh, about Dak Prescott's future there, it's all in the fan base. The the organization itself is fully committed to Dak Prescott. They expect him to sign a long-term extension and and be the quarterback of that that team for for years to come. Yeah, five years or five wins in a row for for Dallas. Um, You think they win that division? I think so. I think so. I mean, you look at Washington and the injury struggles they've had. New York's playing a little bit better right now, but I just don't think they have the tools. And in Philadelphia, I mean, it, it's it's interesting to see how they've sort of fallen off after winning the Super Bowl. But I think they'll end up winning the division, yeah. Dallas, the only team right now in the uh, NFC East with a winning record. They're 8-5 and five, again with five consecutive wins. So they've gone from 3-5 and five to 8-5. and five. Yeah. 
Phillies are six and seven. Redskins are six and seven with four consecutive losses. Yeah. And the Giants are trying to make some noise. I mean, they're up to five and eight now. They're playing better. They've won yeah. two games in a row. Saquon Barkley's really good. He is fantastic. You're, just oh, by the way, we we should have, we should have Moorhead or Huff on. No, no, we don't talk about MSU. Let's just talk about Saquon Barkley. They would they would gush for an hour. I was um, I was listening to some of the Redskins radio broadcast, which. Yeah. I mean, it was like comedy hour late in the ball game, and Kyle Lalletta was in the game for the Giants at that point, and they've been killing the Redskins. They go, uh, if this is the guy that's got your because your option at quarterback, they might want to sign Manning to at least another year because <laughs> this ain't it. Um, I, I guess the the point there is that with a little bit better play out of the offensive line, yeah. With a lot better play out of the running back position, is is the uh, has the demise of Eli Manning been exaggerated a little bit? Is there another year or two in the tank? Maybe there's there's not much left. I would imagine. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's been playing football since professionally since 2004. Um, yeah. But you know, yeah, I thought last year. I mean, it was definitely an outlier. They they, they just they completely fell apart. They they were you know I I don't remember the the record in 16, but I know they weren't terrible. And then, bam! They were three and thirteen. Um, so they, they've done they've, they've done some of the right things, and getting Barkley was big. I think they'll go into this next draft. You know, they're, they're going to be in the middle of the pack, but there's not a there's not an elite QB out there in this. I mean, I like Justin Herbert, all right, but I mean, I don't put him on the same level that I would have put Josh Rosen a year ago, or or Baker Mayfield, or anything like that. So. I, you know, I think that where they're going to be drafting, they might be able to find a quarterback, and they and they have some assets to maybe trade up if they wanted to, uh, and, and just go ahead. You know, maybe next year is might be the final year for Eli. I don't think he has more than two years left. But you know, we say things like that, and you look at Drew Brees and 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 Tom Brady still producing, you know, deep into their career. So you know, it's it's a different day and age with these guys, and they they are they are their careers are lasting longer. You know, if, if they can keep well, Eli upright, like you mentioned, that offensive line, then yeah, there's no reason to think that his career can't be extended. And how about the other guy in the 4 draft? Philip Rivers is yeah. having a big uh, he's year. He's still as well. killing it. Still killing it. That guy is. Eli that guy is numbers is, this year. Oh, they're 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 astronomical. I mean, and the Chargers you're talking about coming out of nowhere. Yeah, they're just un, they're unfortunate. They're playing and talking about coming out of nowhere. The the Chiefs sort of the same thing. You know, I don't think anybody expected Patrick Mahomes to come in and be this beast right off the top of his career like this. So, you know, the AFC West is is such an interesting division because. You got those two good teams, the Chiefs and the Chargers, and then you have the Broncos and the Raiders, who are just not good at all. So, you know, I, I, those two teams, the Chargers and the Chiefs, they're going to make a lot of noise in the AFC playoffs. You know, right up until they play the Patriots, in which case they will lose, and the Patriots will go to the Super Bowl because that's what always happens. <laughs> it's funny how that works. Yeah, Eli Manning this year completing sixty-eight percent of his passes. He's forty yards shy of thirty-five hundred with three games to go in the regular season. So 18 touchdowns. To yeah. Well, probably over 4,000. 18 touchdowns, just eight interceptions. Um, so he's going to throw for over 4,000 yards, 20, what, 23, 4, 5 touchdowns with probably 10 picks, 12 picks. The problem is he's been sacked 43 times in 13 Oof. games. Yeah. That's, That's not good. That's bad. Almost four, almost three and a half sacks a game. Now he was only sacked twice on yeah. Sunday. 
Yeah. You, you could limit a couple of sacks a game and give him time. But listen, the overall numbers for the Giants this year, I mean, so Eli Manning's sitting on 3,500 yards passing with three games to play. Mm. Saquon Barkley has rushed for 1,124 yards and nine touchdowns. So yeah. what is that? That puts him on pace for 1,400 yards and 12 TDs. Yeah. Odell Beckham Maybe. Jr.'s got over 1,000 yards receiving. And he's missed some games. And he, he has. He's, been, he's had some injury issues. Uh, Evan Ingram has not – I mean, he's not been able to stay healthy throughout the yeah. uh, the course of the year. That's a guy that I had big expectations for when they drafted him. I thought he was going to be a star. And then, like I said, he just can't stay healthy for whatever reason. Yeah, when he's been healthy, he's been really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing about the Cowboys, too, is that defense, man. That defense is, is good. Smith and Vander Esch, that is a linebacker duo of the future, man. Those guys are going to be dominating for, for a long, long time. They are fantastic football players. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff there. Hey, Southern Miss note for just a second. Yeah. Jaden Johnson. Yeah, I just saw who this. Who was yeah. one of Louisville's strongest verbal commitments for the class of 2019. 13 months he's been committed to Louisville. Mm hmm. The Memphis quarterback has decided that it was time for a change. Chalked up his decision to a lot of uncertainty at Louisville. He is committed to Southern Miss. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking about a kid, talented, talented kid, but a pro-style quarterback all the way. And with with Satterfield going up there, that option offense was not going to fit for him. So made a smart move. Southern Miss, that's a passing offense. I think he'll do very well there. 6'2", 208 pounds, number 20 pro-style quarterback in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. Said Coach Hobson was the first coach to come to my house. He came into my environment, showed his love. That stood out to me. He made me think he really wants me as a player. And said that uh, Jay Hobson nearly jumped out of his skin when Jaden Johnson told him that he was going to decommit from Louisville and come play at Southern Miss. We'll wrap it up with you next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams with live reports from the games and practices, plus exclusive interviews with coaches, players, and legends from the past. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. So Dick Vitale is being inducted into the Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Pretty gracious tweet from him. said, I'm on my flight to New York City for Broadcasting Hall of Fame. I'm in awe reading about the 10 that I will join being inducted, including superstars Jim Nance, Bob Costas, Mary Carrillo. Now, these are real broadcasters. I was just a jock who got fired and talks about a game I love. Good stuff. Would when are they um, inducting you? Uh, I'm sorry. What was yeah. that? <laughs> About 20 years from now, you and I can be up there. They, can I introduce you? Can I? Can I? Can I be the guy that's like Richard Cross is a man who is one of the best broadcasters of our time. He's also a uh, decent man. Decent. I've said this before. I don't know if you agree with this or not. I'm not trying to like devolve into a college basketball discussion. Yeah. 
I think there's a um, a really strong argument to be made that there is no no one person who has done more for the growth of college basketball in the last thirty years than Dick Vitale. You can certainly make that argument. You, you, you probably can, you convince can, me of it. You, you can like him or you can hate him, but that's a guy who, when he steps foot on your campus for a game, yeah. it feels like a big deal. And I know he's not a great analyst. I mean, he doesn't analyze the game. He just yells a lot and, oh, it's incredible. You know, whatever. Lot, yeah. he, he does. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, when, when I was in college, you know, he came to the hump uh, my sophomore year when State went to the Final Four. And, I mean, you talk, that was an event. Dick Vitale was coming to the Humphrey Coliseum to broadcast a game. I mean, that it meant something when, when you said that. So, I mean, yeah. that to me, that's like the highest compliment you can give an announcer is, oh, he's doing the game? You know, okay, then. I need, I need to yep. watch. It's a big deal. Hey, Super Talk Mississippi and local broadcasters all across the country are sharing how they ha- broadcast good today. It's a hashtag there, hashtag broadcast good It's part of a nationwide campaign launched by the National Association of Broadcasters to showcase the positive community impact and charitable efforts that broadcasters contribute. Uh, One of the ways that Supertalk Mississippi tries to broadcast good is by bringing awareness to stories like the opioid crisis. Did you know that Mississippi is the leading prescriber of opioid painkillers? There are enough prescriptions for every man, woman, and child to have their own bottle. That's scary. It's just one of the tough topics that we tackle here at Supertalk Mississippi, trying to shine a light on the opioid crisis to broadcast for good. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. It's been a a fun three hours. It's been a fast three hours if you are just joining us. I don't know. Maybe you have to work for a living. The biggest news, the news that uh, we led with this afternoon, broke about 145 or so with a tweet from uh, Bruce Feldman was that uh, Phil Longo had been named offensive coordinator at North Carolina. And North Carolina has officially uh, announced that. And then right about the time the show started, we got the news that Mark Hudspeth um, was taking the head coaching job at Austin P. So just one year on the staff at uh, Mississippi State. It was his second stint in Starkville. And we talked a little bit about the impact of that earlier, Hey Dad, uh, for folks that might be joining it, joining us late, a little bit of a rewind on what that means for Mississippi State. Yeah, just it means obviously they're going to be a coach down going into the bowl season. Uh, I'm sure they'll they'll move some people around. I mean, if anybody should be familiar with how to get through a bowl season, missing some coaches, it's Mississippi State. They were missing so many a year ago. Um, from a recruiting standpoint, it doesn't look like it's going to be a big issue at this time. Uh, that Hudspeth's guys are, are are already being covered. And, you know, for Hudsmith, obviously, it's a great opportunity for him. I, I can't imagine. It's got to be really tough to be a head coach, and then you come back down as an assistant coach. I mean, that, that's really difficult, I, I would imagine. So, But Hudsmith did a really good job for Mississippi State this year, and and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll be successful at Austin P. I I think he's a good coach. Yeah, and he also inherits a pretty good situation. Uh, mentioned yeah. uh, Will Healy was the, the previous head coach, and he was thought very highly of. He took the opportunity to go be the head coach at Charlotte, so he takes a, a small step up on the kind of coaching ladder, opens up an opportunity for Mark Hudspeth to get back in. And this was probably the kind of job that he was going to have to take to, to get back into the head coaching game. Yeah, yeah. He, I don't think he was going to uh, to Michigan or anything like that, yeah. Wait, did, did Michigan open up? Did I miss that? No, today? they didn't open up. I'm just saying they, they they didn't make a move. You know, they didn't go Hudspeth to Hart from Harbaugh. 
Yeah, but it, 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 the opportunity to take a job where you're inheriting a good situation as opposed exactly. to just getting a job because they fired somebody, yeah, that's probably picking the right job. That I, I would agree with that because he could have stayed in Starville with no questions asked. So he obviously felt this was a good situation. Yep. All right. Hey, Dad. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Rippy will be in Jackson tomorrow. You got Ole Miss in southeastern Louisiana playing at the Mississippi Coliseum tomorrow night. No hoops for Mississippi State until Saturday when they host Cincinnati. It's at 7.30 on Saturday night. Thanks for being with us right here in the Renaissance Bank studio. For Will East, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Bill Bender earlier today on the Farm Bureau phone line. I'm Richard Cross. We will talk to you tomorrow. Good night. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.